It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. We were concerned about hacking. We were concerned about protecting our sources. I get into some of the allegations because investors are still trying had been to claiming to do business with companies which either didn't exist or simply ceased to exist. There's been a fresh report from the EFT. They're talking about half of your worldwide revenue and almost all of your reported profits effectively uh, coming from three opaque partner companies. In this address, which had been listed as the headquarters of an international payments company, its office was shared with a tour bus company in Manila. German financial regulator Baffin it's already under fire for investigating the investors and reporters who questioned Wirecard. We've all changed electronic devices at various times throughout this story. And then you start to be worried, well, am I being followed? So yes, you do develop a rather healthy sense of paranoia. A statement from Wirecard saying that it is likely that the missing 1.9 billion euros don't really exist. This is Behind the Money. I'm Amy Keene. This is our last episode of the season, and we're bringing you a tale of what could be the biggest accounting fraud since Enron. It's a story of fake invoices for millions of euros, inflated balance sheets, fictitious customers dotted across the world, and suspected Cold War-style surveillance in London. It's a story of Wirecard and how it invented 1.9 billion euros. 2015 was a big year for tech. It was a big year for tech acquisitions in particular. But not many had heard about a company called Wirecard. It was a small German technology company based in a suburb of Munich. It did something to do with payments processing, and people weren't really paying attention to it. That's Dan McCrum, an investigative reporter for the FT. At the time, he was editing the Alphaville blog, poring over financial documents and raising questions about funky accounting practices at any number of companies. Then one day, Dan got a phone call. I got contacted by a fund manager who had taken a pretty good look at the company. There was something funny going on with a Bahrain company, which Wirecard had supposedly done business with. And it seemed like the company didn't really exist, or certainly it had been misrepresenting itself and lying about what it did. We wrote about it for a while and it got a bit of attention, but then um, over time everything died down again. So it was sort of more of a curiosity. In the span of about three years, Wirecard would go from being a small contender in the $1.4 trillion payments industry to a global financial powerhouse more valuable than Deutsche Bank. And it did this through acquisitions. It expanded its global footprint with subsidiaries in Dubai and in Dublin. The idea was for Wirecard to partner with companies to process payments in countries where it didn't have the local expertise or a license to operate. From there, bought up this series of really obscure little companies until it had um, spread its tentacles, as it were, all over Asia. These companies would process payments for Wirecard and give them a commission for the business. 
In March of 2017, Wirecard did a big deal with Citigroup to lock in its market position. It was trying to take over this huge business to process payments for hundreds of thousands of businesses who wanted to take credit cards all across Asia and the Pacific, I think in 11 different countries. And so it was in the process of sort of trying to become this household name across Asia. And this was an ambition that seemed to pay off. In 2018, the company's transaction volume doubled in the first six months of the year, as well as its share price. That September, Wirecard was listed on Germany's blue chip DAX index. It displaced Commerzbank from this DAX 30 index, which is um, the most prestigious stock market index in Germany of the 30 largest companies. And so along had come Wirecard, and it was promising this message that it did payments processing, but it had this amazing technology. And so people justifiably had got very excited about this because the idea is that we're moving to this world where we don't use notes and coins anymore. Wirecard's slick advertising from the time paints a picture of a company at the forefront of this supposed fintech revolution. Smart digital payment solutions have become the key to success and to your customer. Discover Wirecard. We are a global fintech company with 20 years of payment experience. We develop financial technologies that make payments mobile, seamless, and almost invisible. So Wirecard really sold this vision of a cashless society. And it was more profitable than anyone else. And this was all to do with its amazing technology. And it had spread its operations all over the world. And so by this point, it was worth more than 24 billion euros. And it becomes one of those self-fulfilling things. It was a stock market phenomenon first. People made a lot of money because the share price went up a huge amount. And that, that attracts interest. And then, so instead of looking closely at the company and saying, am I really thinking about what they're doing or do their numbers make sense? It's much more in a, hey, payments is this amazing growth area. People are using mobile payments with their phones. We're all going to be using electronic money in the future. I'll just buy into that general area. So that generates this sort of groundswell of enthusiasm for the company. This uh, DAX entry is for us just an intermediate step. It's a good day for shareholders, etc. But it's nothing that uh, slows us down. That's Marcus Braun, the man who was at the helm of Wirecard for its growth and expansion. I think that the dynamic of growth in the next 10 years will totally outperform what we achieved in the last 10 years. He joined as CEO in 2002. He saw himself more as a chairman than a chief executive. And uh, the staff in the business would hardly ever see him. You know, he would be up in his um, office sipping peppermint tea. And he would have this special lift which would take him straight from his office on the top floor down to the garage where his chauffeur-driven Maybach would be waiting for him. Marcus Braun was also the company's largest single shareholder with a 7% stake in Wirecard. At its peak when it entered the DAX 30 index, his stake was worth about 1.5 billion euros. And um, at one point he borrowed quite a large sum of money against that, I think 150 million euros or so. In late 2018, Braun told investors that Wirecard sales and profits would double in the next two years. In reality, over the next two years, whistleblowers and dogged reporting from Dan and his colleagues would reveal that the Wirecard empire was merely a house of cards. Allegations of fraud and false accounting sparked legal inquiries and financial audits. Auditors would find that 1.9 billion euros of the company's profits 
were completely made up. You don't start out by making up 1.9 billion euros. What you do is you start small. So you start off because you need to fill a hole. Your profits were growing fast and suddenly they're not. But you want to maintain the illusion that um, everything is fine. Maybe you think you can make it up next year. So you just invent, say, a 10 million euro bit of fake profits. But the problem is the next year you want to carry on growing again. So you have to fake the same 10 million that you faked last year, but you also need to find another 10 million. And Mm -hmm. over time, that gets bigger and bigger and bigger. That is what Wirecard was in the midst of doing, padding the books in what would eventually become an almost 2 billion euro accounting fraud. Whistleblowers who had seen the stories that I'd written about Wirecard a few years earlier. And on the basis of that, they got in touch and started to tell us about all this hair-raising stuff that was going on in Singapore. People were cooking the books in the most blatant fashion, making up invoices, making up contracts, all sorts of things that you don't want to be happening. Wirecard's internal compliance team looked into these allegations. Their conclusions were pretty damning. They said they'd seen things like evidence of accounting fraud, of money laundering, possibly of corruption. And so when you've got it in black and white like that from a law firm whose job was to look into the exact thing which you're looking at, then that does give you sort of confidence to use the word fraud. And then the whistleblowers gave Dan and our Singapore correspondent Stefania Palma more insider information. By this point, we discovered that the person who was in charge of basically its finance team for the whole of the Asia and the Pacific. So he was the guy who was in charge of putting the numbers together for the audit. He seemed to be cooking the books. And uh, quite soon after um, we started publishing, he disappeared from Singapore. And then eight days after the FT published a story on accounting practices at Wirecard's Singapore operation, police in the island city-state raided the company's offices. At this point, things became even stranger for Dan and his colleagues. And then we published the story and sort of, I mean, all hell breaks loose, really, because the company immediately denies the story, says this is totally false and there's nothing to it. And obviously the stock market starts reacting. Investors are very concerned. What on earth is going on at the company? Shares in Wirecard fell 44% in the weeks after this FT reporting. And the company said that, quote, nothing about the article was true. So we start publishing more stories going, well, this definitely is true. Here's some more details. And then here's a whole load more details of what's going on. Dan thought he knew what was coming next. Wirecard accused the FT of leaking the story before it was published. Dan had seen the company throw this line at critics in the past. Here's Marcus Braun responding to those allegations about its Singapore office in an interview with CNBC in April 2019. We want to leave all of that behind. We see this a little bit as market speculation. But you can't leave it behind, can you, Marcus? Because, I mean, you are taking the battle to the Financial Times and to specifically Dan McCrum, who is the journalist in question, who is... uh, That wasn't much of a surprise to Dan and Stefania, given how familiar they'd become with the company's operations. But what was unexpected... The German stock market regulator was investigating us for market manipulation. When the news broke that Stefania and I were being investigated... It broke in the German press first. And you had this very strange situation where you're finding out that you're supposedly a suspect 
in a criminal inquiry from the press. And then you sort of have to step back and watch whilst your colleagues write a story about it in the FT, because obviously you have to report on this. Tian, at this point, you've, you know, have rigorously reported out these claims by whistleblowers. And as you say, you continue to sort of present new information that corroborates some of those allegations. What's going through your head as you realize that you're the one being investigated by the regulator, not Wirecard? I mean, it's hard to describe how strange that is, because you, it's really hard to write stories where you accuse a company of fraud, effectively, uh, because you have to have such a burden of proof. Just to use the word fraud in an FT article requires an incredibly high bar, because we're subject to UK libel laws where the burden of proof is on you. So anything that you write, if someone's going to sue you in court, you have to demonstrate either that it was true or you had reasonable grounds to think that what you were saying was true and that there was a very strong public interest in publishing it. Which if you've got a big listed company and they appear to be lying about their accounts, that gives you a strong public interest. But, you know, you have this sense of the Financial Times as a respected news-gathering organisation. And so it was quite hard to wrap my head around the idea that we were being accused of all these things and it was being taken seriously. The FT hired lawyers to represent Dan and Stefania. And Dan and Stefania, well, they continued to investigate Wirecard. We were writing these stories which were saying, well, hang on a second, Wirecard is claiming to do all this business. And then when we go and look for its business partners, they either don't really seem to exist or they're really weird. And so Stefania did this terrific job of going to look for businesses which Wirecard had supposedly been sending payments to. And so she went wandering around the Philippines and found basically empty buildings. Um, She came across this address which had been listed as sort of the headquarters of an international payments company. Uh, She found a bemused seaman and his family who had no idea what she was talking about. And then in the middle of all of this, an unexpected vote of confidence for Wirecard in the market. SoftBank, the Japanese conglomerate, invested about a billion dollars in convertible bonds. I think SoftBank shares with us the vision that the area of digital payments in combination with analytics, artificial intelligence, innovative financial services on one platform is one of the most interesting growth areas in the next 10 years. And I remember Paul Murphy, who was uh, the investigations team editor, walking in and saying, um, Dan, you realise SoftBank have just bet a billion dollars that were wrong. <laughs> and, and so again, you start to doubt yourself and go, what on earth is going on here? Like, have we got this completely wrong? What is happening? I mean, were there points at which you, you doubted yourself because of how Wirecard was responding? how SoftBank was getting on board. What gave us increasing confidence as the year went on was for years the company basically relied on this excuse that our business is really complicated and you don't understand it. That wasn't really working anymore. And so it just started to say things like, well, these documents you're relying on aren't authentic. We really knew we were something, we were onto something because we knew the documents were real. And so it then became this process of going, okay, so what are the documents really telling us? What have we got here? So the company was being bolder with its statements. 
Then there was the surveillance. Last summer, we started to become aware that there was this surveillance operation going on in London. It was targeting multiple financiers, sort of hedge fund managers, short sellers. As we became aware of this surveillance, we actually obtained some of the photos of people which were being taken by the private investigators. And so we were, what we published was a story saying all of this had been orchestrated by this former head of Libyan intelligence called Rami El Ubedi. And so it was this quite disconcerting level of expertise and resources which were being thrown at, again, this effort to try and find evidence, which they couldn't find any because there is none, but trying to find right. evidence that we were colluding with short sellers or something like that. Oh, I see. So when you discovered this, I mean, did you find yourself looking over your shoulder when you left the house or when you jumped on and off the tube? Yeah, we start doing all sorts of things. Like um, you would be going to a water meeting and then I would nip down into a tube station and then quickly walk through it and walk out one of the other entrances to pop up on a different street and then sort of quickly try and go off there. Yeah, you actually are getting on the tube. You would wait until the last moment when you got to your stop until the doors were just about to close. Then you would jump out just in case anyone was trying to follow you. Like... I mean, that does sound ridiculous, doesn't it? Even I can see that sounds ridiculous. Well, I mean, but I I can also imagine how at this point you could just, um, you could start to go a little crazy, just not being sure sort of how much of this is in your head and how much of it is actually happening right around you. Yeah. And as you know, because we've been dealing with whistleblowers throughout this whole story, you're already having to be careful about protecting whistleblowers. And then you have concerns about... Can you trust the electronic devices? I mean, we've all changed electronic devices at various times throughout this story. And then you start to be worried, well, am I being followed? So yes, you do develop um, a rather healthy sense of paranoia. Did you ever feel unsafe at any point in this or? Um, Not really. I I feel like if something happens to a journalist, that gets the attention of the, the authorities in a way which esoteric accounting fraud doesn't. The beginning of the end started last October, when Dan and his colleagues published a story about Wirecard accounting frauds in Dublin and in Dubai. Wirecard called in KPMG, one of the big four accounting firms, to do a special audit. The moment when you felt like maybe this could be actually coming to a head was when KPMG finally published the results of their investigation at the end of April. We'd been hoping that we might find out what was really going on, but really deep down we expected a whitewash or something, some sort of half measure, or again, something that would allow them to fall back on. We've got a few things to address, but it doesn't really matter. What emerged was more of a bombshell, at least in accounting terms. KPMG came out. They basically (laughs) said their job was to prove that all of this business was real and they couldn't prove any of it was real. And there was a billion euros of cash, which they couldn't prove that was real as well. So that was absolutely amazing. That was April of this year. And around the time of this KPMG report, Dan was also expecting a report from Ernst & Young, the rival firm that had been Wirecard's auditor for many years. This report was to contain the company's full year results. EY was supposed to sign off on the accounts. They'd been delayed and delayed and delayed. And we got to this day when they couldn't delay it any further. And they told us that the accounts were going to be published. 
Olaf Storbeck is my colleague in Frankfurt who's been covering this as well. And so it got to the morning in June when the accounts were supposed to come out. We were both up from about six o'clock in the morning waiting to see what we were going to get. And we also thought there might be another chance that they would get away with it. The company had been getting away with it for a very long time. But then nothing happened. And sort of the morning ticked on. And as soon as the stock market opened and there'd been no, no announcement, which is really unusual, you announce these things before the market opens, we were like, OK, this doesn't look good. And so that's when excitement started to build. And we started furiously pre-writing our story for whatever was about to happen. And then the company dropped this bombshell. They weren't publishing their accounts and 1.9 billion euros was supposedly missing. Wirecard claimed it was processing huge amounts of payments, more than 100 billion euros of payments a year, and had sales in excess of 2 billion euros a year. And now what's transpired is it looks like half of that business appears to have been invented. It just simply didn't exist. And when you take all of that away, the rest of Wirecard's operations, all spread all over the world, were losing money. So for the last two years, it's just been burning through cash. What we've discovered is effectively there was this empty shell inside what was supposedly this amazing technology company. So what, what's going through your head at this point? Um, I will admit, well, we're all under lockdown, so I will admit I did a small victory lap of the kitchen. <laughs> and then you got down to writing. Oh, yeah, and, and, and then uh, we quickly started writing the stories, and we've not really stopped writing stories since. In the past few weeks, the FT's reported on the fallout, and it has been extensive. Here's a quick recap. Wirecard has filed for insolvency. 12 billion euro in shareholder value has been completely wiped out. Marcus Braun resigned and was then arrested by German police. SoftBank's investment is under review. And the EU has called for an investigation into why Germany's banking regulator didn't catch the fraud taking place at Wirecard. That's the same regulator that filed a complaint against Dan and Stefania for their reporting. But this story could become stranger still. Wirecard's former chief operating officer vanished after the company's implosion and has since become a person of interest to three Western intelligence agencies. We did say at the start that this story had the feel of a Cold War thriller. The FT will continue to report on this story, and you can read the latest from Dan and the rest of our reporters at ft.com slash wirecard. Check out the show notes for a few links to get started. This episode was produced by Oluwakemi Al-Adisui. We had help from Liam Nolan and Breen Turner. Now, as I said at the top, this is our final episode of season three. We started the season before the pandemic, and we definitely did not expect we'd be recording and producing this show from our apartments. I will be forever grateful to Oluwakemi for steering the show through this very strange time. We're immediately jumping into planning and producing for season four, which will return after the summer break. Thanks, as always, for listening. You can get in touch with us with any future episode ideas at BehindTheMoneyFT.com. We hope you stay healthy and safe and know that we'll be back here again soon.